your digestion and your microbiome and your poop can really tell you what's really happening with your hormones. And there is impact there. Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. So welcome back, everybody, to Menopause Mastery Podcast. And today I want to talk about some very serious things that you need to know about your poop. So actually, your gut health has a huge impact on your hormonal health. And so today I'm going to unpack all that information. So most of you know, or if you've been listening to me for a while, you know, I went back to get my PhD just because I didn't have enough to do. Actually, no, it was because I really spend so much time reading the literature and the research. I figured I might as well go back and earn my PhD at the same time. I was really curious about two things. Number one, I wanted to understand particularly how women differed from men and specifically around disease states. Uh, you know, let's face it, women uh, experience autoimmune conditions 10 to 1 to men. We have an extraordinary cliff dive that we go through when we go through menopause and the loss of those hormones that change our body pretty radically. And once we go through menopause, we age match men for almost every chronic disease. So our risk for heart disease, stroke, match men, we have a greater risk for dementia and osteoporosis. And so when I went back, I really wanted to dive into gut health, women's health, hormone metabolism. And I'm currently finishing my dissertation. So, you know, I'm just doing the last parts of my study and trying to fit that around my podcast, my clinical practice, my online program, and everything else that I do. So what I'm going to share today is a little bit that you may have already heard, but some things that you may not have heard about your gut and your hormones. This is actually the subject of my dissertation. So I'm looking at microbial metabolites and enzyme that uh, some of your microbes in your gut make and how it affects hormone metabolism and how that may play a role in some women with IBS, particularly when we are still cycling. So this is a little bit of a sneak peek into the research. So let's unpack this and let's get real. So first off, if we look at our body, our gut is full of microbes and it's full of things like bacteria, fungi, viruses, phages. So phages are basically uh, viruses that attack bacteria. And we have this sort of evolved jungle in our gut. And that jungle is made up of trillions of these. So it, the estimations early on was that we were about 10 to 1 bacteria to human. Now we actually know a little bit more about that. And it's a little closer to about 1.3 to 1, right? So we have more, uh, more microbial cells in our body than we do human. And so the microbes in our gut are not just, you know, hanging on and think of them as, you know, riders that won't get off the bus. They are here to help us actually function. And, you know, if you talk to some researchers that spend a lot of time looking at the gut, you know, to some degree, you got to question who's the host, right? So if we have more of them in our body than we do cells in our body, then who's actually controlling whom? And so 
you know, in the last 20 years, once we were able to actually identify the microbes in our gut using um, DNA technology and RNA technology and shotgun sequencing. So we're able to identify microbes that were previously unidentifiable because bacteria that are only cultured to be seen, only about 20% of your microbiome once exposed to oxygen will actually culture. So most of what was in our gut was a complete black box. These microbes live in our gut and they don't just hang out and sort of just, you know, lay on the wall of your intestines and chill out and, and take some of your food. They're actually there to help us do a lot of different things. Now, what the research really shows is that our microbiome, when we're born, so we have nothing in our gut until we pass through the vaginal canal. So having a vaginal birth gives you your first inoculation of lactobacillus and bifido, which are two primary groups that are in our gut. And that helps to start sort of colonize. Those are the seed bacteria that colonize our gut. So if you were C-section, your gut has a completely different microbiome. It's actually the microbiome of the hospital room and the hospital that you were in. So you actually have a significantly different microbiome. And then as we get older and we get exposed to things, so mother's milk helps gives us immunoglobulins and we receive some probiotics from that as well. And then everything in our environment, you know, things from the soil that are still on the, our fruits and vegetables, the microbes within our environment, also many of them colonize our gut. What's interesting is when you look at the research, the cleaner someone is, right? So the more hand sanitizer, the more, you know, we have sort of removed ourselves from exposure to environmental things, the more we are likely to have a microbiome that is significantly changed or a not healthy microbiome or an unhealthy microbiome. So in studies, they actually show that it, children and infants that are exposed to even farm animals. So we know farm animals, you know, they're standing around in their own feces. They're exposing you to lots of bugs that you wouldn't normally see. But that increased microbiome exposure and probably diversity that we get from that actually reduces our risk of autoimmunity, allergy, and a thing called atopy, which is hives and rashes. Your microbiome is largely what you're exposed to and what ends up colonizing your gut. So the health of your body is determined by your microbiome and vice versa. Early antibiotic exposures, particularly in the first several years of life, make that colonization and the quality of your jungle, if you think of it as a jungle, much less. And then obviously, as we go through life, the more antibiotics we use or other things that may change that microbiome, the worse it gets. So your microbes are there to help modulate the immune system. So they have a couple different roles. So they help modulate your immune system. So they have crosstalk. So they talk back to the brain and they talk, you know, and they get messages from the brain. And then they talk to many of the immune cells within our body and they help sort of modulate the immune system, which is why when you look at studies and you see studies that might say, hey, if people are taking additional um, probiotics, they may have a reduced risk of colds and flus. It's not because the probiotics themselves address the, the viral infection. It's that they help the immune system modulate. They have a significant role in modulating the immune system and also protecting the intestinal wall. So many of our microbes act as sort of a defensive guard and help make mucus and other things that help us protect that wall. They also ferment carbohydrate content and fiber that we can't digest. So when they do that, they actually make their own food source sources called short chain fatty acids. But those short chain fatty acids, many of them are supportive to our body like butyrate. And that actually helps protect the intestinal wall. So the production of short-chain fatty acids do that. And there's actually really good literature out there showing that 
the different short chain fatty acids that we make, if we have enough of them, they can even modulate things like glucose metabolism and type 2 diabetes risk, even modulate bone metabolism and actually the uh, risk for osteoporosis. So the microbial metabolites of them using your fiber and carbohydrate content in your diet is important because it actually not only makes their food, but it actually influences our body as a whole. And so that is vital. They also help us manufacture several vitamins, you know, vitamin uh, riboflavin, B1, B2, B12, uh, vitamin K. And so our microbes, if we don't have enough of them, we may not have enough of those vitamins. So they synthesize vitamins. They help us absorb minerals. And interestingly enough, some of our microbes, even the ones that we consider bad, like your fungi, like Candida albicans, which is a opportunistic fungus, actually can harbor heavy metals. So we may have a body that allows us to, to grow some of these potentially pathogenic strains because it's trying to protect us from something else. And so, you know, the, the body's ability to basically work in coordination with our microbiome to help with vitamin and mineral activity is very important. And they also help us metabolize phenols and other compounds within your foods that have these modulating effects on the immune system, help us make antioxidants and all those other things. So the truth is we couldn't survive without our microbiome. Now, that's the basic stuff that the microbes do. Now we get into a lot, a lot more interesting thing. So some of our microbes also help us produce different enzymes. And one of the enzymes that a group of bacteria make in our gut, and there's a wide variety of them, is a thing called beta-glucuronidase. And beta-glucuronidase is an enzyme that's also expressed in the human body. It's made in, in lymphoid tissues. It's even made in the bone. It affects our body's ability to use curcumin as an anti-inflammatory to help with trabecular bone growth. So that enzyme, beta-glucuronidase, has an impact on the body. Beta-glucuronidase inside your gut actually affects how you finally get rid of estrogen compounds. And what the literature shows is that the degree in which your bacteria are making beta-glucuronidase may increase or decrease certain risk factors in your body. If you've listened to my podcast before, you know how we metabolize hormones is vitally important. And so it's really not just how much you make, it's how much you make how much you might take if you're taking hormones, and then it's how your body wraps that up and packages it to get rid of it. So I'm going to give you a little primer on liver detoxification because what the liver is up to eventually ends up in the gut. So they're intimately tied together. You can't look at one without the other. The liver has a multi-stage process in which to get rid of toxins. And the very first stage of that process is controlled by a bunch of enzymes called cytochrome P450 enzymes or CPY enzymes. Now, those enzymes are all dependent on how you're wired. You've heard me talk a lot about DNA. So some of us have really killer enzyme pathways, and we can get rid of a bunch of toxins. Our toxin delivery and toxin detoxification at that very first stage may be impaired. For instance, a lot of medications like pain medications, SSRIs, are processed through those exact same hormones. So depending on how you're wired, that first stage of liver detox either works well or not. And it depends on combinations of those genes. So it's not just a single gene, it's the combination. So estrogen has multiple genes that affects that very first step. And your diet affects that step. So a lot of your B vitamins and vitamin C and other things, what's happening at that step is your body's taking a fat-soluble toxin in most cases and converting it to a hydrophilic, so a water-soluble toxin. 
And those enzymes are the ones that do it. So to make this an easy conversation, think of that process as when that enzyme acts on that toxin, whether it's your estrogen that you've used up or the plasticizers or herbicides or phthalates or all the other stuff that looks like estrogen in our body. Think of that action as being like a wrapper being wrapped around it. So it's like you're getting ready to throw something out. So you need to wrap a tissue paper around it so you can get it ready to wrap up. So that very first stage depends on that wrapper. The next stage is then called conjugation. So what's really happening at that next stage is it's getting bound to something. And in many cases, this is where your uh, amino acids play a role. Your B vitamins, again, play a role. Things like methylation happen here. Sulfation, which is one of the major pathways that we get rid of hormones. And so this is very nutrient dependent, both steps and especially proteins. So if you've done a juice fast that's all vegetables and fruit and you think you're detoxing, I hate to break it to you. You're not. You may lose weight. You may lose water weight. You may feel good, but you're also liberating those toxins and they're going right back because you need a lot of amino acids, which vegetarian forms, you can get it, but animal proteins are going to have a lot of those primary amino acids that need to help detoxify these toxins. So think of that second stage as the second wrapper, right? So we'll say we've got different colored wrappers. Now that the liver has it, it's got to move those toxins out of the liver and move it into either the urine, the sweat, or the stool to get rid of it. So a significant portion of our toxins actually go out through the stool. And so the bile that's in your liver goes into your gallbladder, if you still have that sucker, and then that gallbladder spits that bile out into the intestines to help you emulsify fats. So it's got solvents in it called bile salts that help you emulsify fats and absorb your fat-soluble nutrients. But that bile is also sludge of trash coming out of your liver. So all those toxins are in it. So liver function, gallbladder function are really important to the excretion of toxins, particularly used up estrogen. Now that it's in the bile, it's got to go out through the stool. So it's going to bind to fiber, right? So fiber also feeds your good microbiome and it's also the binder to that bile. So if you are not eating enough fiber in your diet, you're not going to get rid of your toxins. You're also going to have you know, significant problems with just going to the bathroom because fiber also holds water into the stool, makes it a little more bulky and easier to pass. Your bowel transit time, how long it takes for you to go to the bathroom. So if you're not pooping every day, at least once, but, you know, depending on your fiber intake, you might be going three times a day. So there, there can be situations where it's too fast. I have a history of colitis, so I know what that feels like. And it can be a problem of not enough. So if you're going to the bathroom three times a week, that is not enough. And equate it to this. It is kind of like putting a bunch of trash in your plastic trash bag in the middle of your kitchen, turning your house up to 98.6 degrees and leaving it there for three to four days. I don't care if it's in a plastic bag. Some nasty stuff is going to seep out and it's going to recirculate. Right. So bowel transit time, frequency of stool, fiber intake, water intake is just vital. Right. Because it helps bind to those toxins and get it out. So if you're constipated bad. And if your bowels are moving too fast, bad, because you're not able to absorb your nutrients, you're probably not a reabsorbing some of the bile salts that need to be reabsorbed in the large intestine and colon. So that in itself may also be problematic. But if I were to choose, I'd rather be slightly faster than constipated if we're talking about exiting toxins. All right. So we walk through the first step of the liver, the second step, and then the bile getting bound to fiber within the stool. Within the microbiome, if your bacteria are making a lot of beta-glucuronidase, right? Again, that's an enzyme that they produce. 
if that's in very high levels, what happens is all of the estrogen-like compounds that your body's trying to excrete within the stool is bound through what they call a glucuronidate bond, so glucuronidation. And when I have a lot of beta-glucuronidase, what it does is take that wrapper and rip it off and allow that estrogenic compound to then go back through liver circulation and go back into the body so it doesn't get excreted. And so it basically allows your body to recirculate these funky, non-functional pieces of estrogen and estrogen-like compound toxins back through the body. Now, why is this important? So some of the research out there looking at beta-glucuronidase levels that are high um, increase your risk of colon cancer because, again, we've got carcinogenic compounds. Estrogenic compounds are carcinogenic in most cases, particularly when they aren't natural to the body or if they've been used and they're not functional anymore. If you can't excrete them, they're going to be in there causing DNA damage to the tissue. And so localized damage within the colon has been seen with higher levels of beta-glucuronidase. And so it can lead to a greater risk of colon cancer. When we look at chemotherapy studies, some of the chemotherapy that's used for common cancers like breast cancer and colon cancer and other ones have a process through the liver and they are affected by beta-glucuronidase. And truly, the toxicity of the chemotherapy and the efficacy of the chemotherapy is dependent on how low or how high that beta-glucuronidase is. So if I have a lot of bacteria producing beta-glucuronidase, and I'm taking a chemotherapy drug, the therapeutic effects are going to be heavily affected by my microbiome. That's super important because what if you're taking something that now is less effective because of what your microbes are doing? And that's what the literature shows. And we can look at other things. So there's studies looking at, at IBD, your inflammatory bowel disease and beta-glucuronidase being higher goal isn't necessary for it to be low because I've actually seen some things clinically that indicate that there's probably a sweet spot in the middle. It has the right activity, but too high or too low is probably problematic. So at the end of the day, the microbes can be the last step of your body trying to get rid of your estrogenic compounds and toxins. And you may not be able to do that, right? Because that very last step may be impaired. You know, what are the, some of the things that you can do about this? Because at the end of the day, that's the ultimate goal is what, what, pieces can you do to help control it? The first thing we always do is we look at the microbiome. So we test it. We're going to do DNA testing to see who's there. So do we have a lot of these guys that are producing beta-glucuronidase? No offense, men. They're just, you know, bacterial guys. <laughs> and then we also look, do I have pathogens and other things? But we can see the actual production of that enzyme within the stool, right? Made by your bacteria. So if it's very high, we can then address it. And we can also see other things like, are you digesting properly? So I think stool testing is very valuable. Even if you're thinking that my only problems are hormonal, again, could it be that you're doing everything else right for your hormones, but it's your gut health that's affecting it? If that's the case, then we got to go, okay, so maybe we've done a stool test and we see that things aren't quite right. What else can you do? So in many cases, we can do things like the obvious dietary change, eat lots of fiber and prebiotic fiber. So fiber, again, is food source for your microbiome. It is desperately needed because if you don't get enough fiber, you are going to starve off the good bacteria that don't make beta-glucuronidase and you are going to grow beta-glucuronidase bacteria, right? So a high-fat diet and a very low-fiber diet tends to sway that way. And so how much fiber do you need? 35 grams is my minimum. That's what we're shooting for. Now, I'm not going to take that all at once because I'm going to get bloated and I'm going to feel like I explode because that's going to help produce gas because it takes a while for your body to get used to that. But adding fiber and making sure that you're also getting adequate fluid. 
Fiber works both ways. So if I have too much fiber and not enough fluid, I could get very constipated and bloated. If I have a lot of fiber and a lot of fluid, it actually makes my bowels move much more smoothly. And things like magnesium can help that as well. So taking magnesium if you're constipated can help. Now that we've got like the binding of the toxin taken care of, because that's going to help bind to that estrogenic compound. The next step is if my beta-glucuronidase is high, we go after it for two things. First, we try and modulate the microbiome by reducing the bacteria that produce it. Again, if I feed my other friends, they're going to crowd out the bad guys. And then I may take herbals that can help reduce those microbes. Now, that's all dependent on which ones they are. And that's beyond the scope of what I really want to talk about today, because that's very individualized based on what comes back on your test. But in many cases, I can help reduce their levels by feeding the other army and basically wiping a little bit of them out. We don't need them all gone. We just need them reduced. Now, I can also take a calcium product called calcium D-glucurate. And calcium D-glucurate holds that bond. So what it does is it makes sure that that beta-glucuronidase doesn't take the wrapper off my estrogen compounds. So it holds the bond. So it can keep those compounds bound so I can help detoxify it. So many times if I'm working with people in my hormone reset program or clinically, we're going to use things that help bind these toxins and we're going to use herbs that help this entire process. So calcium deglucurate can be taken to help bind it. Now, the next step is to make sure you're pooping. There's probably no other test that's more important than probably what's going on in your microbiome. Bowel transit and how frequent your bowel movements are is important. So we're going to shoot for at least once a day. And we used to joke that it needed to be about the size of a Kleenex box. So if you're eating enough fiber, you should have enough stool throughout the day to fill a Kleenex box. I know that's disgusting, but it's a really good kind of visual. (laughs) That's what I need to do. And that's what I need to produce. Because what that's doing is making sure that I've got that stuff bound and out. What does that mean to your hormones when I'm able to do that? So if you're in perimenopause and your hormones are all over the place, and you've heard me talk about the ketchup bottle. So when you're in your 20s and 30s, the ketchup bottle has a very controlled sort of, you know, if you're squeezing it out on a hot dog, it's very controlled and you get that perfect sort of S wave. When you hit your 40s, it's like the bottle is mostly empty. So you're shaking it and squeezing it. And so sometimes it has a little bit. And then the next time it goes and it's a bunch of stuff. If you're in that time period, It'll help even out a little bit of that activity. It's not going to change what your ovaries are doing, but it is going to help you excrete what needs to be excreted, right? So you're not adding to the burden. Now, if you're in menopause, here's where it gets pretty interesting. So in menopause, if you're not doing bioidentical hormone replacement, your body is still producing some estrogen, but not at the ovaries. So it's not producing that protective estradiol. What you are producing is estrone and estrone sulfate, which is another estrogen that is made by your fat cells. It's part of the reason why we gain weight when we go through menopause. The body says, hey, awesome. You want some more hormones? I'll give you some fat so I can make it. Estrone sulfate is pro-inflammatory. And so if I'm still making estrone sulfate and it's still resident in my tissues, meaning it's in your breast tissues, it's in your ovaries, it's in your uterus, because that's also where there's a high, high activity of estrone sulfate. And if I'm better at binding those toxins coming out of the liver, that's going to reduce that additional burden coming out of the, coming out of the digestive tract coming from the liver. So if I'm making estrone sulfate, I'm not adding to that. So we can see that improve. And then finally, if you are on bioidentical hormones and you are replacing hormones, and you guys know I'm generally a fan of that, you know, there might be occasions where some people will or won't. But at the end of the day, if you are on hormone replacement, 
This is where doing tests like the dried urine test to look at how you metabolized hormones and also I would say stool testing can be very valuable because it can show you basically every single step of the way it takes for you to go from inside your house to your kitchen trash can to taking the bag out of the trash can and putting it in a big trash can and then the trash guys coming and picking it up several days later. Because when we look at the liver detoxification pathways in the urine and then we look at what's happening in the stool, then we're able to see the entire process and we're able to see, did you get it out, right? And we can check that at every step. And so your digestion and your microbiome and your poop can really tell you what's really happening with your hormones and there is impact there. So your microbiome is so very impactful. And like I said before, the question really is, are we really the host and they actually run the show? To some degree, it's starting to look like that. So much of our body is this crosstalk back and forth with them. They help us produce our neurotransmitters. Those neurotransmitters affect um, our brain chemistry and they also affect the gut chemistry. They, they help us metabolize things. They're so, so impactful. And so, you know, knowing what's going on in your gut and having regular bowel movements is really, really important to your health. And particularly if you're a woman in this transitional time period of life, because so much of what we experience that cause our symptoms are hormones and they're hormone based, whether they're too high or too low or out of balance. All right. So thank you, everybody. I'm, I'm so happy to, to be doing menopause mastery and spending time with you. And I, and I hope you found this valuable. And if this is something you want to share with friends, because maybe they need to know the value of poop and their hormones, please feel free to share it. And thanks for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here, and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD and you can reach me online at BettyMurray.com. 